You see that stupid number in your checking account? It's called wasted potential. Now I'm gonna let you in on a little secret about something called a portfolio. And it's not gonna build itself, okay? Without you, it's just another number on a screen. Like a jungle full of bananas and no ape in sight. Well, I'm gonna take you to that jungle. Because in the case of these portfolios, it is gonna be up to each and every one of you. My speculative degenerates, my apes, and of course my apets, who will not hit the cell until your account either flies or flops and dies! Hello everyone and welcome back to Always Picking Electric Securities. It's your host Alex Marku. Today is December 3rd, 2021 and for today's episode, I'm going to go over a quick recap of what went on during this week in the market. I'll let you know the three cryptos I plan on buying this weekend and when. For the gambling segment, I'm going to recap the picks I made and then give out a lot more picks for this upcoming weekend. And then I'll wrap up the episode with a teaching moment on the description of the three coins I chose for this portfolio. I'll also be letting you know where you can do some more research on certain projects of coins if you're interested in ones that I don't talk about yet. Well, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Financial Disclaimer Since this is an investing podcast, I will give out the disclaimer that everything I do on this podcast has the potential to reach 100% loss. Welcome back apes and retail investors that think alike. On today's investing segment, I'll quickly give a weekly recap of the market. I'll talk about my crypto plays, but before I do that, let me dive into my apes portfolio update. For the securities section, it's valued at $498.86. For the cryptocurrency section, it's valued at $281.13. And now my gambling account is valued at $350.92. Putting the total value of this portfolio at $1,130.91, which is a total percentage change of 2.81. Not much has changed from the last episode, so let me see if I can make some moves this upcoming weekend. So now that I've gotten the recap of the Apes portfolio out of the way, let me talk about some news that occurred during the regular market this week. Starting off on Monday, Jack Dorsey hit the Twitter world with a huge surprise by announcing that he's going to be leaving Twitter. Now he's not going to be leaving immediately because he still has a term to fill out, but sometime in May of next year he should be done with Twitter. And personally, I'm curious what he's going to do next. Because trust me, a man this smart isn't going to be leaving Twitter to do nothing with the rest of his life because technically he's able to retire. He seems like someone that wants to promote something great in the world. So, by leaving Twitter, he might actually be able to do this, whatever his vision may be. Regardless of what Jack Dorsey decides to do in the future, Twitter is now going to have to find a new person to fill in his shoes as CEO. Now a great way to recap what this week in the stock market was like is Blood Red. And it wasn't a losing week because Jack Dorsey decided he was going to leave Twitter. This all started last week when the new Omicron variant was disclosed on the news. And I'm not going to be diving into COVID variants here on this podcast to try and break that part away because there's a reason I stayed away from science. I don't understand it. But I know that there are people out there who are smarter than me in these fields, so I'll let them figure out the science behind this. When this variant was introduced by mainstream media, 
the stock market started to take a small little tumble. Now on top of this new variant, the Federal Reserve disclosed that they were going to start tapering off. And Senator Yellen and Jerome Powell were receiving some serious backlash at a congressional hearing about the inflation. Which has a large part to do with the way the Fed has decided to keep the economy booming during this pandemic. You see, back in March, the Fed decided it was a good idea to start buying $120 billion worth of bonds each month and to keep the interest rates near zero, essentially making this free money. It says it's to borrow cheap money and keep it flowing through the economy, but let's be real. This is free money that's being printed and handed out. So, since March, $120 billion on end have been printed at least to buy back these bonds. Well, what the Fed announced during this meeting is that they're going to start tapering off. So what this means is they're not going to be trying to buy $120 billion worth of bonds anymore each month. And they can't just pull the plug off right away because if they did that, they would create a correction in the stock market itself because they've been supplying the stock market for a while since March. So now that the tapering off is about to begin, we're about to find out what the true conditions of the stock market are. Is it really a healthy market or was it just being inflated by the Fed? But what the Fed plans to do starting after this month is to diminish the amount of money they start putting into these bonds. So at some time in the middle of next year, this $120 billion worth of bonds isn't going to be that much, or if they're going to be spending that much, the interest rates are definitely going to be higher, so that at least this isn't just free money. Now I can't dive into giving you a full-on lesson on how this increases the inflation rate, because I did study accounting, and a lot of this is economic factors, but what I can tell you is that when you print money and put it into the market, regardless of how you do it, if you want to classify it as buying stocks, bonds, equities, keeping the market up, it doesn't matter. If you print money and put it into the market and offer damn near zero interest rates on it, that's literally printing money for free. And I remember when we were kids, the teachers would always criticize us when we would give that option out in class. But for some odd reason, if you say, what if we print all of this money to buy bonds, it works. Because if you were to look at the year-over-year -year increase in inflation, since May, it has been above 5%. And in October, we hit 6%. So when you go filling up at your gas station, and it seems that the price is always a new all-time high, just like the S&P 500 and all of these stocks, you have the Fed to thank for buying back all these bonds at $120 billion each month. Oh, and if you're curious as to why the stock market was bleeding this week, well, the Fed announced that they're not going to be pumping the stock market anymore. So, Wall Street is about to get a wake-up call. And now we're about to see if Wall Street was relying on the Fed to continuously pump this market, or if they really are being honest players in the market and valuing all of their equities at what they should be. If I had to put my money on it, I think you know where it's going. But, only time will tell. So let's see what happens for the next six months in this stock market as the Fed starts tapering off on these bonds. My hope is for inflation rates to at least somehow stop increasing at this tremendous rate. But my fear is not a crash, but it's that these inflation rates are never going to return back to what they used to be. And as regular people, the wages are never going to be increased for this amount of difference that was made. Because typically inflation increases 2-3% to year over year, so the fact that it doubled just like that in a couple of months just shows you that my concern has room for merit. Because do you think your employer is going to double the growth of your wages? No way. They might keep your wages growing at 1-2% to a year, 
And if inflation keeps growing at 5 to 6 or even 7%, then what good does it do that you got that 2% bonus? Absolutely nothing. Which then forces your hand to risk your money out there in these investing markets. And if you don't really know anything about it, well I guess you're just stuck putting in a 401k plan. And then you're left hoping that you can make up the difference between the accelerating growth of inflation and the accelerating growth of your income which I guarantee you is less than the accelerating growth of inflation. So that percentage difference is what you would try to get every single year in the stock market or the crypto market or your 401k account, just so you can make sure that your $1 value today is the same value in the future. And I have no problem with the value of the dollar diminishing, as long as it diminishes slowly or at a regular rate that everyone can account for, because let me tell you, when this dollar rate is diminishing this fast, your wages aren't increasing nearly as fast. And this is the problem I have. Because the Fed is able to pump all this BS money using their quantitative easing strategies. And the only way to hold them accountable is to wait every two to four years to vote in new officials and hope that they can change this whole establishment up. But I hope I'm wrong. And I hope that the tapering off from the Fed goes really well. Typically, if the Fed decides that they should start tapering off, it shows that the economy is at least improving, because they wouldn't taper off the money unless they at least saw some potential in economic growth. So I'll hang on to that one string of hope and pray that I'm wrong on my other predictions. But I just don't like the way I see things going, especially with the inflation increase compared to at least the money you're earning yourself as an individual. And now I'm going to move on to the actual portfolio I run. Enough of all this outside market talk. For the stocks and options department, I'm just going to sit tight and hold everything. But next week, I will be looking into possibly selling my one Cortezyme option I had because it does expire December 17th, and for whatever dumb reason, the price action on it actually jumped back to about the same price I bought it at. So if I can get rid of this thing next week around the same price I bought it at, at least it won't expire worthless. Because if you remember, I made the bet that this Cortezyme stock would hit $35. And right now it's still trading under $15. So unless this stock hits $35 somehow in the next two weeks, it would make zero sense to hold off to this bet. Because if the stock isn't $35 by December 17th, my option is going to basically be valued below a penny, and then it's going to expire worthless. And an options contract expires worthless, when your strike price isn't hit for a call or a put. And if you don't sell your option before the deadline, or at least monitor it so you can try and sell it at a better price point, then you might just be left paying off a bet and losing all of your money. Which I've done in the past, and I have no problem letting my options expire worthless. But for this podcast, I don't want to introduce you into call options, especially deep out of the money ones, and then let them expire worthless, especially when we can get a little bit of our money back. But aside from that, I'm going to be holding on to all the shares and the other option contract I have for Super League Gaming. I'm also not planning on buying anything yet, as I'm just going to be observing the market and holding on to that $60 I have of cash. But for the crypto segment, I actually have a plan this weekend, and I'm going to be wanting to buy three coins. Now the three coins I'm going to want to buy are Loop Ring, Cardana, and Bat. So because I've decided to use today's teaching moment as an explanation for these three coins, I won't cover them too much right now. What I will let you know is the ticker symbols and how many coins of each I plan on buying and around what time. 
So the three ticker symbols I'm going to be getting for loop ring, it's LRC. For Cardana, it's ADA. And then for BAT, well, it's BAT. But BAT actually stands for Basic Attention Token. And my plan, just to show you how unique this crypto market is, will be to buy all three of these coins just before Sunday Night Football. Now, there's no reason for me to specifically buy it just before Sunday Night Football, but I just want to buy it before this just to show you that you can buy these coins whenever you want to. But if you want to get a similar cost basis like me, I figure choosing Sunday Night Football, at least before the kickoff, would be a simple way for everyone to at least follow through. You know, at least if you're a football fan, because that means you're going to be getting ready for the game, and if you want to, you can purchase your coins, just like me, before the game kicks off. So what my plan will be is on Sunday, December 5th, 5pm 5 to 5.20pm Pacific Time, because that's the time Sunday Night Football kicks off for me, I'm going to be buying 15 coins each of Loopering, Cardana, and Bat. So I'm not putting a specific dollar amount on it, but I'm going to be buying 15, 1, 5, 15 coins of each ones of these cryptos. A rough estimate of the dollar amount is that the loop ring is going to be about $50, Cardana and BAT is going to be at about $25-ish. So once again, my plan for this portfolio, at least for the cryptos section, is to buy three additional coins, and I'm going to be adding loop ring, Cardana, and BAT to this portfolio. On Sunday, December 5th, right before Sunday Night Football's kickoff, which for me is between 5pm and 5.20pm Pacific Time, I will be buying 15, 1, 5, coins of each. I'm going to be spending roughly about 100 or so dollars on this transaction, so I'll still have some money left over afterwards to buy some other cryptos. And since I said I'll be exploiting all three of these coins' uses and projects, at least to the extent of my knowledge in the teaching moment later on in this episode, I'll be wrapping up the investing segment. So by the time I speak to you beautiful apes next time, I'll have six total cryptos in my portfolio. So until Monday, ape out. Welcome back, my friendly degenerates, and anyone that just likes to listen to this part of the sports gambling segment. For today's episode, I'm going to recap the picks I made yesterday and on Wednesday, and then I'll be giving out a couple more picks I have for this weekend. So, let me start off with my picks from Wednesday. So, if you remember, I was trying to experiment with the new round robin, which created parlays of three, but you can forget that idea, because the slate I had only had one winner. So it wouldn't have mattered if I even made this as my regular traditional round robin, I still wouldn't have won a thing. And it was the soccer round robin I created. The one with Real Madrid, Liverpool, Manchester City, and Chelsea to win by at least two, and then West Ham to win. Well the only winner I had in that was Liverpool because they beat Everton 4-1. Aside from that, the other teams either won by one or just straight up lost. So I guess I risked $10 on that and came out a winner on nothing. But that's okay because it was an experimental round robin, and I will experiment with this again at some point in the future, but when I feel more confident about the picks. Not gonna lie, I felt confident about these picks, so I might have to reevaluate how confident I feel next time. But regardless, it was only a $10 bet I spent on it, so I'm not too worried. 
The next bet I want to talk about though is one that I'm pretty excited about because it's the first parlay I hit on this podcast. And it was the parlay I had with the Sixers and Mavs spreads and then the Red Wings spread or money line, whichever was better. So for this bet slip, I wound up having the Sixers to cover at plus three, the Mavs to cover at minus three, and then I chose the Red Wings money line because them to cover was actually plus one and a half and the odds implicated for that was minus 250. Now their odds to just straight up win was minus 105. So from here on out, Whenever I give out a pick, I'll let you know if I'll be picking the money line or the spread or what my plan is going in for it. But for the most part, just assume that I'm always going to pick whatever selection has better odds, which in this case was the Red Wings to straight up win. And I'm glad I chose it because they won in overtime. The Sixers were able to lose by one, so even though they lost the game, I still won the bet because they were plus three to cover. So this means they could have lost by two and even three, but if they lost by three, it would have been a push bet, which means I wouldn't have necessarily won the bet, but I wouldn't have lost my money. Now the Mavs to win by three was an easy bet because they blew out the Pelicans. And like I just said, the Red Wings were able to win in overtime. So a $10 bet on this actually paid out a profit of $61.26. So let's go, baby. I can now place this bet six more times before I lose all the money I just made. Which, speaking of, takes me to the next parlay I made, which was the one of two college basketball games and a hockey game mixed into it. For this bet sheet, I wound up choosing Villanova to win by at least 18, and then UCLA to win by at least 13. I also had the Golden Knights in the NHL to win their game by at least 2. The Golden Knights actually wound up losing, and then Villanova and UCLA won, but they didn't cover their spreads. So... If I would have chosen the opposite side of all three of these selections, I would have won because I went a perfect no on every single one for these. So even though I was perfect on one of my parlays, I was perfect on another one in the wrong way. I still wound up only spending $10 for this bet slip, so I lost $10. But in the end, I still made $51.216 off of the two parlays I just made. Not too bad if you ask me. Now let's just win a couple more of these so we have some free money to start playing with. Now I had some bets that I created yesterday, and I'm going to start off with the mixed round robin I had of the two games from soccer, the Thursday night football game, and then the five NBA underdogs I chose. So for this round robin bet slip, I had Tottenham and Manchester United to win, the Saints, Knicks, Raptors, Thunder, Pistons, and Spurs to win as well. This bet slip, however, was not that impressive because I only went four for eight in it, and I only wound up profiting 65 cents. So at the end of the day, I didn't really lose money or make money off of it. The four bet picks that helped me win were Tottenham and Manchester United to win, and then it was the Raptors and Spurs in the NBA that helped me pull off the upset wins. Aside from that, the rest of them lost, so I only profited 65 cents. Now I also created two three-team pick parlays for this bet slip. The first one I'll go over is the NBA one. For this bet slip, I had the Bulls to win by 2, the Bucks to win by 4, and the Suns to win by 12. Now the Bulls were able to win by 4, so they were able to cover. But the Bucks got upset by the Raptors, so they actually lost this bet pick for me. And I'm glad that they lost it, because the Suns wound up winning by only 11. So I would have been kind of devastated to find out that this bet slip would have lost if the Suns didn't cover by 1 point. And then the final bet slip I had revolved around the NHL. I had the Panthers to win by at least two, the Wild to win by at least two, and then the Flames to win by two. 
The Panthers and the Wild were able to easily cover their spreads. The Flames almost won by two because heading into the third quarter, they were up by one, but unfortunately they weren't able to cover, and I lost this bet pick, which is another $10 thrown down the toilet. Alright, now that I've recapped my picks for Wednesday and Thursday, I want to give out the picks I have for today, tomorrow, and then for Sunday. So by the end of me giving you all of these picks, I will have about 7 total parlays and 3 round robins. I'm going to be dispersing these plays throughout the 3 days. So starting with today, there wasn't too much action in terms of sports compared to tomorrow and Sunday, so I decided to just stick with 2 parlays. So from today's action, I'm going to be choosing a parlay from college basketball, and then I'm going to be choosing a parlay for the NBA. Now since I don't have the odds out yet, I'm just going to be letting you know the team I'm choosing, and I'll pick whatever their spread is, regardless of how big it might seem. So let me start off with the first parlay I'm going to have on Friday, which is going to be coming from College Hoops. I'm going to be choosing Houston to cover their spread against Bryant because they're at home, and then I'm also going to be choosing Purdue to cover their spread against Iowa because they're at home as well. Now the last game I'm going to be choosing for this is actually going to be an upset spread. I think St. John's has a chance to upset Kansas, but I don't want to put a bet on St. John's straight up winning. So what I'm going to be doing is choosing their spread. I know for a fact it's going to be a plus money spread because Kansas is going in as a favorite. So regardless of whatever their plus money spread is, I'm going to be getting St. John's because I think they have a chance to keep the game close. I won't be choosing their money line because I haven't watched enough college basketball this year to really make a judgment call on that. But I don't know, I just have a weird little inkling about this game, so we'll see how it goes. But I think St. John's can cover their spread. So in the end, this bet slip is going to be Houston, Purdue, and St. John's to cover their spreads, and they're all playing at home. I'll be risking $10 on this, so I'll let you know how it does on Monday's recap. The second bet slip I'm going to have is another three-team pick parlay, but this one's going to be coming from the NBA. And I'm going to be choosing the Sixers to cover their spread against the Hawks. I like the Lakers to cover their spread against the Clippers in the Battle of LA. And then I like the Warriors to find a way to cover their spread, possibly even win and end the Suns winning streak. Now I am saying this before the Suns play the Pistons, but this is in full confidence that the Suns are going to find a way to win that game. And I'll be putting $10 on this parlay as well. So to recap it, I have the Sixers, the Lakers, and the Warriors to cover their spreads against their respective opponents. So that's all the action I'm going to be putting on Friday. Just two three-team pick parlays, so we at least have something small to root for. The bigger action plays is going to be coming over the weekend on Saturday and Sunday. For Saturday, I'm going to be starting off with my regular soccer round-robin picks, so I'm going to be having games that are occurring both Saturday and Sunday, and then I'm also going to be incorporating a college football round-robin. Primarily because we're getting at the end of college football, so I feel like it'd be a waste not to bet the last weeks of it. And once bowl season comes around, I'm going to probably at least try to make a play on every single bowl. Aside from the two round robins I want to create for tomorrow, I'm also going to be making a four-team pick parlay. So for tomorrow, there's only going to be two round robins and one parlay. So before I dive into my college football round robin, I want to let you know that every team I say right now, I'm either going to be picking their spread or the money line if they're an underdog. So what this means is, I'm going to say a team because I don't know what the odds are right now. And let's say when it comes time to input this bet so I can actually put my bet slip down, if I find out the team I said is actually an underdog, because again, I said these picks before even looking at the lines, 
Instead of picking their spread, I'm going to pick them to win. Because remember how I said I'm going to try and incorporate more plus money lines for these round robins? Well, I can't predict which lines are going to be underdogs. And I'm not going to tell you to pick just underdogs unless I know there's only 8 games for that slate. So what I'm going to be doing now is if I pick a certain team and I let you know that for this specific round robin, I'm doing spread favorites or money line dogs. If I tell you this, then that means the team I choose, I'm either going to pick the spread if they're a favorite or choose the money line if they're the dog. So I'll be letting you know from now on on these round robins how I make my picks, especially if I don't know what the odds are, by letting you know what I'm choosing for them. So for this college football round robin, I'll be choosing the spreads as favorites, but money lines as dogs. So let's dive right into it. Starting with the game that's actually being played today. Oregon is going to be playing at Utah. And for this game, I like Oregon to come out on top. This is the championship game between these two. And I don't know, I just have a good feeling about Oregon. So I'll be choosing Oregon to cover the spread if they're a favorite, but I'll be choosing their money line if they're an underdog. Do you see how this works? So now I won't be explaining every single one like that, I just wanted to give you a quick example. I'll be diving into the rest of my picks. Starting with the game of the week, Georgia at Alabama. This is one where Georgia finally has a chance to beat upon their big brother. But you know what? I'm going to go against what the public is saying, and I'm going to be choosing Alabama. Now Georgia definitely has every right to be a favorite going into this game, and I believe they are, but I'm going to be choosing Alabama to straight up win. If you want, you can choose the spread because I think it's going to be a close game, but I'm just going to put my money where my mouth is and pick them to win the game. Unless for some dumb reason, by the time I have to put in my bet slip, they're a spread favorite, I'll be choosing Alabama's money line. And now there are some other games that are going to be played tomorrow, aside from Alabama and Georgia. And although they might not seem as significant, trust me, by placing your money on these games, you're going to make them feel just as significant as any other game out there. So, let me start off with the top of my list. I have San Diego State to cover their spread or win against Utah State. I like Cincinnati to cover their spread or win against Houston. I like Michigan to cover their spread or win against Iowa. Then I'm going to like Oklahoma State to win or cover their spread against Baylor. Pittsburgh is going to be visiting Wake Forest, and I like Wake Forest to cover their spread or win. And then Appalachian State is going to be visiting Louisiana, and I like Louisiana to win or cover their spread. Now because I'm still experimenting with how to announce these picks in a clear manner, I'm going to recap the picks. Because I know sometimes I'll get distracted and I might ramble on about one slate before I move on to my next picks. So for my college football round robin recap, I have Oregon, San Diego State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, and Louisiana to cover their spreads or I'll be picking them as the money line if they're an underdog in their respective game. And just like every other round robin out there in the past, I'll be risking $1 on each parlay it creates for a total of $28. Now, let me move on to the soccer round robin and hopefully I can come off more coherently than I did off the last one. So for these picks again, I'm going to be choosing the spread on the team I say, or their money line, depending which one has better odds. So starting off in the Bundesliga, I like Bayern Munich over Dortmund. I like FC Mainz over Wolfsburg. And then moving on to the La Liga, I like Real Betis over Barcelona. And they're a heavy underdog in terms of the gambling odds. 
but I'll be but I'll still be picking Real Betis. I also like Real Madrid over Real Sociedad, and then I'm going to be moving on to the English Premier League for the next three slates. I like Chelsea over West Ham, Liverpool over the Wolves, and then Manchester City over Watford. The final pick I'll have for this slate is going to come from League One, and it's going to be PSG to beat Lens. Now PSG is the team that has Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe and all these other great players, yet somehow they're not finding cohesion. Regardless, I'll still be picking them for this slate, and I hope they win just off the good names they have. So again, for a quick recap of this bet slip, which is going to have games being played tomorrow and on Sunday, is Bayern Munich, FC Mainz, Real Betis, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, and then PSG to either win or cover their spreads, whichever one has better odds. And just like the last round robin, I'll put a $1 risk for the 28 parlays it creates, which means I'll be risking 28 total dollars for this. Now the fun's not going to stop there, because I'm not going to create just two round robins and call it a day. I am having a lot of fun with these parlays, and I feel like it's a fun way to risk some small amount of capital from my betting segment in order to try and get these nice crazy returns. And how for Friday's slate, I made two three-team parlays, I'm going to be making a four-team parlay for this one bet slip I have. And that's going to be including Real Madrid and Bayern Munich's money line. That's just how confident I am that they're going to be winning from their soccer round robins. But that would be boring if I just mixed two teams. So I'm going to be adding two games, one from College Hoops and one from the NBA. I like Gonzaga to cover their spread against Alabama in College Hoops. And then moving over to the NBA, I like the Mavs to cover their spread against the Grizzlies. So for this 114 pick parlay, I'm going to be choosing Gonzaga and the Mavs to cover their spreads, and then I'm going to be pairing it with Real Madrid and Bayern Munich to win out their games. So I'm going to need all four things to happen in order for this bet slip to hit. And I'll be risking $10 on this. So overall for Saturday, I'm going to have my one college football round robin, my traditional soccer's pick round robin, this one 14 pick parlay I just told you about, and I'll be risking 58 total dollars. May the betting odds be ever in our favor. And after a fun-packed Friday and Saturday of rooting for my bets, we get to tune on to Sunday football and root for some underdogs, because that's what I love to do every single week. Well, except for this week, I'll be rooting for one underdog to not win on my round robin, but I'll still be placing it there. So to keep a Sunday fun, I've decided to make one round robin, which is just my traditional underdogs pick round robin, and then I'm going to be having four different three-team pick parlays. So let me get into my dog selection, and let me be a little transparent on how I chose these picks. Because I realized for Sunday, there's only about 12 games. So I figured if there's 12 games, let me go about this underdogs picking differently. Let me pick four favorites that I think are absolutely going to win. And that means that the underdog wouldn't. So this is my list based off of just biasy and absolutely no research. But my locks for this upcoming Sunday is going to be the Bucks over Atlanta, the Colts over the Texans, the Rams over the Jags, and I'm sorry for any of you Steeler fans out there, but the Ravens over the Steelers. I just don't like how the Steelers are playing, and I think the Ravens are going to put their foot on their throat. That being said, this is a quote-unquote lock I have. 
that I'm still 50-50 about, but I decided to choose him just because of how poorly Pittsburgh's been playing lately. The other three locks? Well, just look at the opponents. Do you think the Falcons are going to find a way to have an offensive showdown against the Bucks? No. Do you think the Texans are going to find a way to show out against the Colts? No. And then the Jags? Come on. The Rams are pissed and the Jags are going to be taking the bad end of it. So with that being said, I chose the four teams I think are absolutely going to win and not be upset for Sunday. This leaves me with eight games left since there's only 12 games and I already chose four of them that I don't want to include. So I'll be choosing all the other eight games underdogs. And that's how I made my dogs round robin picks for this week. I think in the upcoming weeks, that's what I'll be doing. I'll be trying to make sure I pick all of the favorites I have in mind, and then I'll be choosing every other dog for it. So what the round robin for my underdogs pick for the NFL slate looks like on Sunday is I have the Lions beating the Vikings, which means they get their first win. I would have the Giants beating the Dolphins. Now this is the one I hope doesn't hit. I would have the Jets beating the Eagles. Let's pray that's the one that doesn't hit and we just go 7 for 8 instead. I would have the Bears beating the Cardinals. I have the Chargers beating the Bengals. The Washington football team beating the Raiders. The Seahawks beating the Niners. And then finally to wrap up Sunday Night Football, I have the Broncos stunning the Chiefs. So to recap my picks, for the Sunday games, I have the Lions, Giants, Jets, Bears, Chargers, Washington football team, Seahawks, and Broncos all to win. Now this is a round robin, so I'm not expecting all of them to win, don't get me wrong. But I'm at least hoping half of them do, so I can be profitable on this exchange. And I'm also hoping that the one that doesn't hit is the Jets winning. But let's not speak things into existence right now. And just like all my other round robins for this one, I'll place a $1 risk for every single parlay it creates which will be 28 total dollars risked for this one bet slip. Now moving on to the four parlays I have, I'm going to be putting $10 risked for every single one of them. The first one I have, since I don't have the lines up yet, or because they might change by the time Sunday hits from when I'm reading them, is the Rams, Ravens, and Colts all to cover their spreads. Now, the reason I chose to do this is because I looked at all the locks I made and I chose the teams that I think can at least cover their spreads. I think the Bucks can definitely beat the Falcons, but if they win by a touchdown, they still wouldn't be able to cover their spread because their spread, at least now from what it's set at, is at minus 11. And I don't want to risk my money on parlaying the Bucks having to win by at least two touchdowns to a divisional opponent. That being said, I am picking the Ravens over the Steelers, and that might come back to bite me in the ass, but we'll let Sunday pass and we'll see if that happens. So for my first parlay I have, it's going to be the Rams, the Ravens, and the Colts to cover their spreads. The second parlay I'll be creating is the one parlay that would make me happy. And that would be the Eagles to cover their spread, the Raiders to cover theirs, and then the Dolphins to cover their spreads. The reason this would make me happy is because the Eagles would win if they cover their spread, the Raiders would be beating the Washington football team, and then the Dolphins would be beating the Giants. So together, the three things I want the most, aside from a Cowboys loss, would all be happening on Sunday. So that parlay is specifically geared for me, and it's 100% biased. But I have the Eagles, Raiders, and Dolphins all covering their spread, and I'll be putting $10 on that. Now the next two parlays I'll be creating is an overs one, and then an unders one. 
For the overs one, I'm going to be picking three games I think are going to be high scoring and the over is going to hit. I think the Eagles and Jets game is going to hit over. I think the Vikings and the Lions game is also going to hit over. And then finally for this slate, I think the Washington football team and the Raiders have a chance for another high scoring game. So all three of these games, I believe the over is going to hit. I'm not sure what the over lines are set at right now, but I'll pick them no matter what. And I'll risk $10 for this bet slip. Now my last one is going to be the unders pick. Now personally, I hate picking unders, but when it comes to parlaying it, it makes picking unders a little bit more fun. I just hate picking unders because then you're rooting for a boring game. Regardless, the three games I think have potential to be quote-unquote boring games, or at least low scoring, is going to be the Ravens and Steelers for obvious reasons because they're a divisional matchup. Then I'm also choosing the Niners and Seahawks, another divisional matchup. And then look at that, the final game I have here is the Sunday night game, Broncos and Chiefs, final divisional matchup. So I think all three of these divisional games have a chance to be low scoring and have the under hit. So I'll give a quick recap of those four different parlays I just said, just in case you missed them. My first one is going to be the Rams, Ravens, and Colts to cover their spread. The second one is going to be the Eagles, Raiders, and Dolphins to cover their spreads. The third one is the Eagles and Jets game to go over, the Lions and Vikings game to go over, and then the football team and Raiders game to go over. So that's my overs one. And then the fourth parlay I have is the Ravens and Steelers game to go under, the Niners and Seahawks game to go under, and then the Sunday night football game, Chiefs and Broncos game to go under. In total for Sunday, I'll be risking $48 because I'm putting 40 total dollars on all of my parlays and then $28 on that one underdog round robin. But totaling all of the money from today to Sunday's picks, I'll be risking $128 of this account's money. So I guess I'll see how much of it I can raise or if I lose some of it and I have to make better picks for the next episode. And now personally, before I end the segment, I remember when I would listen to other sports segments and they would give out their picks, sometimes I would forget them by the end of the episode. And if you forget some of the picks I say while I'm rambling on half the time, I don't blame you because I was in your shoes too. So what I'm going to be doing is I'm always going to attempt to at least recap all the picks I just said at the very end of this segment. But when I do it this way, I'm literally going to be doing it like I'm reading off a list of a shopping cart. So I won't be breaking down every little minuscule detail into how I'm making the pick, but what I'll do is at least give you a refresher so that way if you're trying to remember what picks I said, you won't have to go through the whole episode, you can just scroll to the end of the sports investing segment. So for the quick recap of all the bet picks I made on today's episode, for Friday's picks, which is today, I'm going to be having Houston, Purdue, and St. John's in college basketball to cover their spreads on one parlay, and I'm risking $10 for it. On a second parlay, risking $10, I have the Sixers, Lakers, and Warriors to cover their spreads. On Saturday, I have two round robins. The first one's going to be for college football. I have Oregon, San Diego State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Wake Forest, and Louisiana to either cover their spreads or pick them if they're an underdog because I'll be choosing their money lines if they are. Now over to my soccer round robin, I'll be choosing the money line or the spread whichever one implies higher odds. And for this slate, I have Bayern Munich, 
FC Mainz, Real Betis, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester City, and then PSG. Then for Saturday, I also decided to include a four-team pick parlay. From college basketball, I have Gonzaga covering their spread against Alabama. From the NBA, I have the Mavs covering their spread against the Grizzlies. And then going back over to soccer, I have Real Madrid and Bayern Munich to win. So that's going to be one of the four-team pick parlays I have for Saturday. And then moving on to Sunday, which will wrap up the bet slips I have, I'll start with the underdog slate I made for Sunday. And that includes the Lions getting their first win, the Giants, Jets, Bears, Chargers, Washington football team, Seahawks, and Broncos winning their games. For the four parlays I quickly made, I have the Rams, Ravens, and Colts to cover their spreads, and I'm risking $10 on that. I have the Eagles, Raiders, and Dolphins to cover their spread on a separate parlay, and I'm risking $10 on that. On my third parlay, I have the Eagles and Jets going over, I have the Lions and Vikings going over, and then I have the Washington football team and Raiders going over. And the last bet slip I have is for the Steelers and Ravens game to go under, the Niners and Seahawks game to go under, and then the Broncos and Chiefs game to go under. So together, those are all recapped picks I have, seven of them being parlays, three of them being round robins. I'm spending $128 risked on all of these picks together combined, and I'm hoping I can flip it for anything in the green. Until next time, you degenerates. Ape out. Hello class, are you ready to learn a little bit more about crypto today and have me explain some crypto projects to you in the best way that I can? Well, if you've got a little inkling about the crypto markets and you want to learn about them but you're not even sure where to start, you can start by listening to me free of charge because all of this is free and it's all financial advice. Free financial advice that is. And if you decide to follow it, thank you. But in all seriousness, this crypto market is very new. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to be trying to provide in this teaching moment might seem very basic. And as I go along with this podcast career and learning about markets in general, eventually I'll sound not as basic when it comes to the crypto market. For now, you can just think of it as a basic explanation for everything. So earlier in the investing segment, I said how I was going to buy three coins this upcoming Sunday. And those three coins are Loopring, Cardano, and Bat. And I'll be diving into the three projects and specifically what they're more geared towards in this teaching moment. But before I hop onto the three coins, let me talk about the foundational fathers these coins even have to be thankful for, which of course are Bitcoin and Ethereum. And more specifically, what about Bitcoin and Ethereum? Is their white paper. Now what a white paper is, is essentially an explanation for what the crypto itself is actually trying to do. Because some of these cryptos have actual objectives and projects that they're working on, while some of them may seem like they're not, but they're actually having projects in different areas that probably just have smaller market caps. Regardless, these white papers are another way you can do research on a crypto. Because if a crypto has a white paper, they're going to specifically say what that project is designed to do. For example, Bitcoin's white paper is about 9 pages long. 
Now I read the abstract of it and the summary, and what I got from their white paper is that Bitcoin was formed primarily as a peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash that allows online payments to be sent without going through a financial institution, meaning a third party. Now they're able to eliminate this huge double spending problem and requiring a third party to actually oversee this, which would then defeat the whole purpose of a peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash. But the way they eliminated this double spending problem is by having a proof-of-work blockchain. So what this means is, you have a peer-to-peer -peer network of people using this proof-of-work blockchain, so whenever you send in money somewhere else, it gets timestamped on this blockchain. And then you've got miners who can work to solve these blocks, and they get rewarded bitcoins. Now earlier when I first explained bitcoin, I was talking about something called halving periods. And how after every so often blocks that get solved, Bitcoin gets halved. Well, what this halving period means is it's the reward that these miners get. So I believe the reward block used to be 50 Bitcoins for every block transaction solved. This meant that if a miner solves these transactions, and in short, because I don't really know what solving these blocks are, these transactions are essentially making sure that everything is audited for. It's kind of like having people go behind the scenes and clearing through settlement and transaction dates. Now you incentivize people to do this by offering them a reward for doing so. That's what Bitcoin is. The banks and institutions do this in their own centralized form. That's why a lot of banks and institutions have two days to settle trades and settle everything. Because in two days, they can come up with liquidity. Well, that's an issue. Because what if everyone starts wanting their money and this whole two-day factor becomes a serious issue. That's when you get liquidity problems. But I'm not trying to dive into actual markets and liquidity problems here. What I'm trying to show is that Bitcoin essentially started off as just a way to transfer money. And that's all it ever was intended to be, at least at the start. Just the peer-to-peer -peer version of transferring cash and then having all of these transactions on a huge blockchain that the whole public can see and then anyone who wants to can log on to this public blockchain, solve these transactions, which to me, don't ask, I have zero clue yet what that means, but they can solve these transactions and then they get rewarded for it. And really, by solving transactions, you're just settling trades. Or I guess you'd be settling money going from one wallet to another. I think that's how it works. Regardless of what I think, this is all on Bitcoin's white paper. So if you want to truly understand Bitcoin and what it is, just read the nine-page white paper. But what I can tell you is that as soon as you start reading it, you're going to realize there's a lot of definitions you don't understand. Because I thought I was going to start reading these white papers and I could start deciphering them to you, but boy was I wrong. Because once I start reading the summaries of some of these stuff, half the words, I don't even know what they mean. What I can read though, is the charts on the percentage gains that all of these coins are getting. And by seeing these coins percentage gains, I know that there's definitely a future, especially if you can pick the right project associated with each coin. Because Bitcoin was launched in 2009, and this is when the white paper came out. And this shit was below $5. Look at it now, ladies and gentlemen. So you can't tell me if you didn't read Bitcoin's white paper back then and truly understand it, that you wouldn't have seen the vision of Bitcoin today. Which is why right now, 
I'm trying to look into third generation crypto projects and see which ones have the most potential for the future. Bitcoin was just the founding father that let all of this even become a reality. Remember that. You can't have the internet without the hard drives and the processors. And then next comes Ethereum, which was a project that started around 2013, and I think somewhere around 2015 it actually launched onto the market. Now I looked into Ethereum's white paper, and it's definitely not as small or scripted as Bitcoin's. In fact, theirs actually looks like a website interface. So what I did is I read the quick conclusion of their white paper, and I looked through around it. What I realized is, since I don't understand most of the vocabulary with these coins yet, it serves me zero purpose to read the full white paper now. What I need to do is get myself more familiarized with these concepts. And that's what I'll be doing over the next couple of weeks. And as soon as I understand more of these terms, like proof of work, proof of stake, and all this stuff, I'll be sure to explain it. But for now, I'll just be using the words just how they're used. And if you're listening to this as someone who knows more about crypto than me, then maybe I'll ring a bell that you haven't already thought of. If not, then maybe you'll just get lucky in listening to which coin I have to offer you, and at some point in the future, it might blow up. But from looking at Ethereum's white paper, the one thing they strongly were claiming is that they were conceived as an upgrade for the cryptocurrency market because they were able to provide features of on-blockchain escrow, don't know what that means, they were able to provide withdrawable limits, they implemented financial contracts, they created gambling markets, and overall on Ethereum, it was able to accept highly generalized programming language. So in 2015, you could have read about Ethereum and you would have understood that their goal was to improve the crypto market with features of on-blockchain escrow, withdrawable limits, financial contracts, gambling markets, and had the ability to have highly generalized programming language on it. Now, I'm not saying you could have predicted that this shit would have hit 4K, but what I'm saying is you could have read the white paper and at least had a general understanding that they're actually building something with this coin. And it's not just another coin that's being thrown out there. Also known as what the crypto community calls a shitcoin. But what is a shitcoin? Because Bitcoin was once considered a shitcoin. So I guess you just have to do your research if you really want to know what's shit and what isn't. And the only way to truly find out if something's shit or not is to wait it out and see if you were right. Now my biggest takeaways from this Ethereum white paper, which I'm super late to reading, but definitely read it before anyone else who still doesn't believe in crypto, is that they were focusing on these financial contracts and they have highly generalized programming language. Why is that important? Because if you look into what Ethereum is today, it's a no-brainer that they're a platform. And these financial contracts they put in place, which is what I explained last episode, was a thing called smart contracts. So now you could implement contracts on this peer-to-peer -peer version of electronic cash that Bitcoin was trying to produce. Now you don't have to wait specifically for someone to send cash out of their wallet to another user. You can set up these contracts in place so that it takes the cash or whatever crypto out of a wallet and transfers it to the other wallet then, once that contract is fulfilled. So Ethereum helped the crypto markets into creating these smart contract features. And the thing I think is better than these smart contracts is that they accept highly generalized programming language, which it's easy to look at now and pinpoint all the ways that Ethereum has had success in, 
But think about it, ladies and gentlemen. This means that someone can write very basic and generalized programming code on Ethereum. So if someone wants to use Ethereum as a platform, they can write their own code on it. Now, I'm not much in the coding universe or computer science world, but what I do know is that if you're a quote-unquote crypto coin that offers smart contracts for the crypto universe and others can write code on you, you're not a crypto coin. You're a platform. You might as well be called JavaScript, you might as well be called Python, or you might as well be called what you are, and that is a coding language. So the fact that people can write code on Ethereum means that whatever code they write is going to be relying on Ethereum as a base. So whoever writes code is using Ethereum. If they're successful, that means Ethereum is successful. And this is why Ethereum has blown up. Now the white paper wouldn't have told you this, but if you read the white paper in 2015, you would have at least had a general idea that, hey, Ethereum is actually working on some project and it's trying to help Bitcoin out. Because Bitcoin implemented the foundation, but now we need some walls. And what I would recommend, if you want to dive more into these cryptos, isn't to look these cryptos up on Google, but it's to find out what these white papers are for the certain crypto you're interested in. Or what you can do is go on the actual website for this crypto. Because almost all of these cryptos have a website that you can go to to get some information off of, not all of them have a white paper. I'm not going to tell you that the ones that don't have a white paper aren't worthy to invest in, because Dogecoin, for example, doesn't have a white paper. That coin was started as a joke. But even jokes sometimes can have real meaning later on. But regardless, you should still be careful into the coin you get into, especially looking at it back now. Because when I first got into the crypto investing segment, I honestly was just investing in stuff because it was pennies. I knew nothing even as close as I do right now as I'm telling you on this podcast, which even then is very, very little knowledge. So Bitcoin was able to provide a foundation for our house and Ethereum was able to provide the walls and the flooring. But now we need to complete this house. We need to add all the small little nuanced features to even be able to live in here. Well, in my eyes and in my view, that's what this third generation in the crypto market is. All of the foundational stuff have been built for this house. So you can't rebuild the house. It wouldn't be worth it. But what you can do is you can add appliances, you can add the electricity, you can add tiling to the floors, you can paint the walls, you can do all these things. And all these little features that have not been added to the house yet are all these third generation crypto projects that are being worked on right now while you and I just live our lives like average citizens. And at some point in the future, the media is going to go off on another rampage about how these coins are going up in value. And there's going to be someone who's smarter than me, who saw all of this stuff and put way more money down than I will on these coins, who's going to be able to retire at the age of 25 or 30. So now that you know what my goal in life is, let me quickly get to uh, the three coins I have on mine. So the first one I'm going to jump into is Loop Ring, because this is the one that I actually did the most reading of on their white paper, because it's the one that I understood the most. What Loop Ring is, is it's a cryptocurrency project that's trying to decentralize the market exchange. In simpler terms, they're trying to create a decentralized market system. So how your stock market works right now 
it's not decentralized. In order for you to buy shares, you need to go to a centralized institution, a bank, a hedge fund, a brokerage, anything like that. These are all centralized bodies, which means all the power lies within them. Now I'm going to take things away from the stock market and let's talk about the crypto market. Because even this crypto market, which is a market for attempting to decentralize things, the actual crypto market itself is being traded under centralized authorities. Because when you buy your Bitcoin and cryptos and everything, even off of Coinbase, which is what I'm using, Coinbase, Binance, and all these brokerages for cryptos are centralized authorities. They all create protocols and they create the rules on your coins. So that's what I mean when I'm talking about centralization. And these crypto projects are attempts to decentralize everything, which means not you or one person has a power or one company, but essentially the whole world. Imagine if the internet had a say on certain things, right? For the most part, you would think it'd work out in the better run. Well, imagine now you have the people in the internet making decisions on everything, but they're incentivized to make good decisions. Because that's what these blockchains do. They reward users for cooperating with the system. Now, I don't mean to make that sound like you need to cooperate with the system, a robotic system, or else you're going to die. But what I mean is, if you don't cooperate with the Bitcoin system, or if you don't cooperate with these crypto systems, you're not going to be raising value. So by trying to go against the system, what you would be doing is devaluing it, you know? So that's almost like saying, if you don't want to create value in this, then don't hop in it. But anyways, I feel like I'm getting off a tangent here. So let me hop back into Loopring, which again is a decentralized market exchange, or that's the project they're working on. Now, the reason they're working on this is because on their white paper, they claim that the current exchange floor has three big problems that aren't dealt with. The first one is lack of security. The second one is lack of transparency, and the third one is lack of liquidity. So this lack of security quite honestly points out to the fact that the user has to surrender their private keys to these central powers. So what does this mean? Well, in the crypto market world, when you buy these coins off of these central powers, you don't actually technically own the coin. You can transfer the coin out of that brokerage to your cold hard wallet and then you would own the coin. But while the coin's in that brokerage system, you don't actually own it. The broker does. And the lack of security that exists here is a real one. Because it would be a black swan event for them to get rid of your coins or even sell them or never give them to you. But it's a reality that can happen. Because on paper and in legalese writing, these central authorities make sure that they have the rights to these coins. So that if you ever complained about it, they could just point to some article subheading, sub A section this, quote B that, dot 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 this, you know what I mean? Like just a bunch of BS to where you're left with your mouth open saying, are you serious? So that's one of the concerns these developers of Loopring have with these centralized markets, is the lack of the actual security the user themselves have on the actual asset base they claim to buy. The second one, lack of transparency. Because these are centralized powers and they're used to doing things their way. So when things don't go their way, you don't get to see what happens behind the scenes. 
And because of this lack of security issue, it actually creates a conflict of interests. Because as a user, these coins are never actually yours. You have beneficial rights and proceeds to profits and losses to it, but in theory, the broker or that central power has full use and rights to those coins. So who's to say that they're not using other business models to make small bucks off of these coins even if in theory you think it's in your possession? Because of legalese, you sign that little checkmark agreement just so you can open an account with them. Remember that. And it's this lack of transparency because any company can act on fraud and any company can commit fraud and then try and cover it up, but you don't know as a user. And if you just so happen to be unlucky with choosing the wrong broker, you could actually wind up paying the cost for it. And you would never have seen it coming because of this lack of transparency. And then the third and final problem with these current exchange floor systems is a lack of liquidity. Because a lot of this liquidity, which is all of the money, and I mean real money, like if someone went to these brokers and said, how much cash do you have on you right now? Don't sell a thing, don't make any trades, how much money do you actually have on your books right now? A lot of them would be scared because they would have expected to sell a lot of shit so they have two days to settle these trades and get this money, right? So that's the lack of liquidity because all of this money is tied in pools and all of these pools are tied in these brokerages or these central powers. So every central power has only a certain amount of money in their pool. So when they need a lot more money for certain trades, they have two days to figure this all out. And if shit goes crazy in those two day periods, which sometimes it tends to do, you can see some crazy market movements and market swings. And it's this lack of liquidity issue that the loop ring servers and protocol is gonna be trying to tackle and solve. So how is Loopring going to try and solve this? How are they going to try and decentralize the exchange, and more specifically the crypto exchange? But if you think about it, once you decentralize the crypto market, you can then expand it to other markets, but that's getting ahead of yourself. The fix that Loopring has in mind is to offer these public smart contracts on blockchains and to have decentralized actors behind the scenes. The roles that are going to be included on this protocol is going to be wallets, relays, liquidity sharing consortium blockchains, order book browsers, ring miners, and asset tokenization services, which has room for growth in the future. So, remember how I said I was going to say some things that I have zero clue what they mean? Well, liquidity sharing consortium blockchains is definitely on there. What I can't explain to you based on that very weird solution I told you Loopring has to decentralize these exchanges, is that they're essentially going to be offering these public smart contracts, and they're going to create decentralized actors. So you know how you have miners who solve Bitcoin blocks to receive those Bitcoin rewards? Well, that's how you're going to try and incentivize these decentralized actors. You're going to be giving out rewards for them making sure the protocol is staying up to date. Because from my understanding off of the white paper, and I'm sorry if this is going to sound even more complex, is that Loopring is an open source audited and non-custodial exchange protocol. And this is going to allow anyone to build non-custodial order book based exchanges on Ethereum, but with low fees. So 
why did Ethereum hop in there out of nowhere? Well, because remember how I said Ethereum's a platform that a lot of these altcoins are using? Well, the problem that's occurring right now is that if a small user like you or me wants to attempt to write code on Ethereum, we're going to have to pay these tremendous gas fees, which is just a fee for using Ethereum itself because of the price of Ethereum. Well, all of these smaller coins are trying to find a way to scale in all these masses and millions of people that are trying to hop onto the network. And the only way they can do that is if their fees are lower. So what Loopring is trying to do is to create an open source exchange that is going to be run by these ring miners. And what these ring miners are going to be doing is making sure that these trades are settling, just how the Bitcoin miners do. And they're going to get rewarded something for it. Haven't read too much into exactly what, but as of right now, it's probably going to be Ethereum or Loopring. And because every single order is going to be on an open source book, this means the whole public is going to be able to see it. And another cool thing about Loopering is they're tackling fundamental problems right now with this protocol that exists in centralized markets. For example, one of the biggest issues in the centralized market is something called front running. And if you talk to any big institution, they're just going to laugh and say, we don't do that. It's nearly impossible. But what I'm going to tell you is bullshit because it's very possible. And after reading how Loopring says it's an issue, I can see how it's a bigger problem and can actually be done on a small scale without anyone noticing. Because what front running is, is essentially when you place an order for something and while it's pending, someone would take that pending order and they would fill in that order at a higher ask price for you. And then they're going to pocket the difference in that ask price compared to what you said. And they did absolutely nothing but spot your order pending and change a few numbers around. So let me give you a quick basic example. Let's say I wanted to buy one stock for a dollar and it never happens like this. But let's say that this one dollar stock buy is sent in with a batch order of a lot of others. Well, there's some smart guy out there just sitting and waiting for orders to be pending. And he notices that there's this huge block of one dollar orders. What he can do since it's pending is take this pending order, say, let's fill it at 105, right? A dollar and five cents and let's fill it. Now when you get your order back, it's going to say you bought it at a dollar and five cents. And in the market, it'll say, yes, the market system says it's a dollar and five cents. So if you hit buy then and there, technically you'll think everything went through as right. But behind the scenes, what really happened is you hit buy at one dollar. Someone saw your order pending at one dollar. They took it, made the ask price a dollar and five cents, then the actual order goes through at $1.05, they give you that share that you paid $1.05 for, you get a dollar's worth because of the stuff he did behind the scenes, and he gets to pocket that five cents. Now on your screen, everything is going to look normal. And the problem with this front running is that it happens in milliseconds. So it's very hard to catch. But it is a thing that happens, and Loopring's protocol aims to fix this front running issues. They also aim at fixing other issues with centralized powers. So it'll be interesting to see how they develop in the future. Now I read this Loopring paper and I think it said it was made around 2017. So it was still pretty old because in the white paper itself, they stated how somewhere in the middle of 2019, they plan on starting to implement some kind of codes. So my overall take from all of this is that Loopring is gonna essentially try and create a decentralized exchange 
that is run by people who are incentivized to make sure that the trades are taking place. The thing that's nice, the protocol that's put in place, is all automated. So you don't have to trust people on making mistakes. The people that are going to be working on this protocol as ring miners are just going to be auditing. They're just going to make sure that everything is following its protocol. So the protocol is going to be handling itself. And on top of that, this is just like an Ethereum-based package deal. Because Loopring itself isn't the actual exchange. Loopring itself is almost like a hardware device. Any other coin now that's going to be following on an exchange model can tie itself to Loopring. And they can start coding on Loopring. Just how all these coins can code on Ethereum and use Ethereum as a platform, Loopring is setting itself up to be a platform, at least in the exchange world. And that's why I'm investing my money in it. Now, I'm investing my money on it with very little knowledge I understand of this whole coin and the project itself, but I think it has potential. And as I dive more into these coins, I'll have a better judgment for which coins actually have projects that might be successful in the future and which ones might be more far-fetched. Now remember, it'll be just like making regular stock and investment picks. So I could be wrong or right in a decision for very different reasons. Regardless, I just want to be studying the coins now so that next time a bull run comes along, I know exactly what to be prepared for and I won't be one of those retail investors thinking that I should FOMO in. I'll at least feel somewhat more informed. Now the next coin I want to talk about is BAT, which is the acronym for Basic Attention Token. Now for the BAT token, I'm not going to lie and tell you that I read as much of the white paper as I did for Loopring, because the white paper for BAT was about 39 pages. And, I mean, I know I graduated college, but I still hate reading. So I quickly skimmed it, and I looked at the abstract and the conclusion of this. What I got off of BAT is that this is essentially just an advertising token. But it actually strikes me as something curious. Because I looked into how big the digital advertising market is, which is what the token BAT is essentially segmenting their target project for. And the market overall for global digital advertising in 2020 was roughly $155 billion. Keep that number in the back of your head because I'll remind you in a little bit about it. So some more fundamentals on what BAT is based off of their white paper is that BAT is an Ethereum token, so that means they are programmed on Ethereum, and it powers the Brave software blockchain advertising platform. What Braves is, is it's just a search engine, kind of like Google or DuckDuckGo, but this one's called Braves. So what users can do while browsing this Braves search engine is they can change all of those ads they see. Yes, I mean those pop-up spam ads and they can change it to the Brave software blockchain advertising platform ones. And by doing so, this Brave search engine rewards users in BAT as a way of compensation. So that's almost like if you used Google and you hated all those stupid ads popping up and Google gave you the option to use a different form of advertising and you hit yes. And by hitting yes, they give you actual coins that help fund the project to even let that occur. And at first, you might think, why is this necessary? And I also thought that too, I'm not going to lie. But from reading the white paper, one thing I saw was developers that are creating this BAT token were criticizing how the advertising markets have developed over the past years, more specifically over the past 10 years, because they claimed that advertisements used to come from credible sources and credible companies, and at least there were higher powers behind it, but now it's more split into a lot of middlemen. 
And what this has done is create a rat race on information, which can sometimes turn a blind eye to what's ethical and what's not. So what BAT does is they found a way to target advertisers while also keeping away from controversial metrics. For example, BAT can still try and figure out what kind of stuff you're into based off of your searches and everything like that, but maybe they won't track your location to see that you visit Target five times a week, and then advertisers can start targeting you because of that. You see what the BAT program does and the protocol is? Is that when you switch yes to these advertisements, not only are you going to be getting paid small amounts of BAT for doing so, but you're still going to be getting ads that are targeted for you. It's just the formula that goes behind targeting these ads for you rely on different factors. Like they might not care about certain privacy factors that you might care about. The BAT servers might not track your location. It might not see what stores you visit more often and then give those indicators. What the BAT token might do is it can track different metrics and then let publishers know what metrics these users are looking into. And I thought, wow, that's very interesting. Because I thought here it might be one bad thing to have a bunch of credible people that always push advertisements. But now it makes sense. If you distribute this pot in this $155 billion pot, you're going to have a lot more middlemen. And when you have a lot more middlemen, who's to say that some of them aren't going to break rules? And once certain middlemen break rules, they start getting competitive advantages. And then the rest of the industry might follow suit. And this is how certain things can develop over time and seem normal. I mean, after all, that's what's happened in history. I mean, after all, how do we get anywhere we do in history? Shit always develops slowly over time. And then one day we look up and say, how the hell did we get here? So if you're someone that's worried about advertisers using private and sensitive information to specifically target you with ads, which in a way can be viewed as predatory, but that's up to you to decide if that bothers you. If you're worried about being tracked on all these privacy issues, you can use the Brave server when you're searching for stuff and switch to this bat. Not only would you be earning bat tokens for it, but now you're still going to be getting ads that are targeted to you in a less intrusive way. And now you might ask me, how is this a win for the advertising companies? Well, it's a win because what this allows advertising companies to do is it allows the publishers to list ads on these BAT programs and to send relevant ads to you. And they do all of this without following any intrusive data, which in a sense is just protecting you from basic privacy, at least on stuff like your location and what you visit every single week. And the goal for this BAT token is to be able to still work as a factor of monetization for publishers that can also protect the user's data. So how would this work? Well, if you as a user decided to use the BAT feature on this Brave search engine, whenever you're searching for things on Braves, it's going to be submitting it to the BAT blockchain, or however they decide to submit this information. They can then share these metrics and numbers to advertisers. So now advertisers can use these metrics to push ads on you. So they might not be using metrics that you yourself might find unethical. Like let's say the metrics that normally get pushed out to advertising companies are the location of your whereabouts and how far away you are from certain areas by location. Well, BAT might not follow your location because that could be viewed as something that's a gray area. And more likely than not, an area that they shouldn't even be in. Instead, BAT would just be using your search history 
and any other relative metrics that they find non-invasive to your privacy. So my reason for getting this coin on this portfolio is because I'm about to tell you that the market cap for BAT is $2.1 billion. So this means as of right now, about $2.1 billion of at least this digital advertising money is valued on just BAT. Well, I told you the 2020 digital advertising market was $155 billion. So this means that it's 70 times larger than the advertising market for BAT. And BAT is implementing a way for privacy issues for users to be protected while advertising agencies are still being able to target specific ads to those users. So I think this has a huge potential. And I'm not saying the market cap for BAT will ever reach that of what the 2020 global digital advertising market was. But if it does, what that means is, with the price point of BAT being about $1.50 right now, if you multiply it by 70 times, because that's what you would need, you would have a price point of about $95. Not only that, but you would also thank me for buying the coin at $1.50. But that's not the reason I'm getting this coin. The reason I'm getting this coin is because I think this project has a lot of potential and it's still very early in its infancy. Because think about it, right now you can only use BAT on this Brave software. What happens if this actually becomes a new norm in the advertising world? Well, you can easily take this BAT token and put it onto a Google software or the DuckDuckGo software or any other search engine for that matter of fact. And this thing right now probably isn't on as many search engines. So imagine being able to buy into this token before Google decides that they want to incorporate BAT on their servers. Now that's a lot to ask and that's a huge stretch right now because Google could probably just fix their algorithms and stuff like that. But I'm just giving you an idea. The more search engines that decide to implement BAT, the higher the market cap BAT goes. And I still think it's early on for this coin, so why not? I'm going to be buying it, and what I'm going to be doing with all my coins is hodling them to the moon. And now the last coin I wanted to talk about, because it was the one I have the least information on, is Cardano. I have the least information on this because to me, it was the most complex to even understand. In terms of vocabulary, I understand conceptually what Cardano is trying to do, and I could see it being a huge player along with a whole lot of other people. Because what people are saying about Cardano is that it's the next Ethereum. And the reason people are saying this is because in the white paper, Cardano literally says it's attempting to be like Ethereum, but better. So the way Cardano works is it's a blockchain that's divided into two layers, a settlement layer and a computing layer. Now because of Cardano's ability to have these two layers, they're actually able to process as many as a million transactions a second. Don't ask me the science or math behind this because I don't know it, but that's pretty cool. And they're also able to do this with low fees because of the two-layer system. Now, how are they able to do this with low fees? Well, it's because their goal was to be the most environmentally sustainable blockchain platform. And this is what their goal was in their white paper. Now, the way they were able to achieve this goal is by using a unique proof-of-stake mechanism called Orobos. Now I'm not sure what this proof-of-stake mechanism Orobos is, or what proof-of-stake means for that matter of fact, 
But what I can tell you is this proof of stake method that Cardano chose uses four times less energy than the one Bitcoin's proof of stake decides to use. And overall, what Cardano is trying to do is just be a copycat of Ethereum. But instead of having a one layer system, they're doing it in two layers. And there is a thing called Ethereum 2.0, which is a rollout of Ethereum. And what Ethereum 2.0 is, is essentially creating a second layer. So Ethereum 2.0 is eventually going to be Cardano, at least in terms of the layering system. So Cardano has already gotten this two-layer system down, and they're essentially a copycat attempt of Ethereum. Now Ethereum 2.0 is going to eventually be finished, and it's going to have this two-layer system anyways. So eventually when the Ethereum 2.0's second layer is in, Cardano will probably need to have a little bit more than just this two-layer thing to make it stand out. But if you ask me, they're lining themselves up to at least be a crucial player in this third generation crypto market world. Because as of September 12th of this year, they released an upgrade for Cardano that allows support for a wide range of crypto applications and NFTs. Well, crypto applications is another small word for crypto code. So this means you can write code or create applications by writing code and submitting it on Cardano. Sounds exactly like Ethereum to me but Cardano has this two-layer system already. And not only that, they have that three-letter acronym that everyone seems to be throwing out there, and it's NFTs. Non-fungible tokens. That's all I'm going to tell you, because that's all I know about them. But it is offering these NFTs on this Cardano system. And aside from being a non-fungible token, the only thing I know about these is it's just GIFs or art. But if this has a serious marketplace in the future, it's going to be running off of Cardano's system. And listen, there have been a lot more dumber things to be successful in the future, so if you think digital art is stupid, I'm not one to tell you it's not, but just remember, people used to think the internet was stupid. People used to be scared of cars that would crash going 5 miles an hour. So remember, people are always scared of progress. And the reason I'm adding Cardano to my portfolio is because I think they found a way to progress Ethereum's platform. This doesn't mean Ethereum's gonna go away because it's still a big player, just as Bitcoin is. But what I'm trying to find is these third generation coins that have projects that are actually gonna mean something in the future, or at least have potential to mean something in the future. Because from reading the white papers on Bitcoin and Ethereum, I at least now get a sense for that if I read this back then, sure, I would have not understood them just as I do right now, but at least I can conceptually visualize what the idea is they're trying to do, at least in small talk. I couldn't read the whole white paper and understand every little thing, but at least I understand it has a goal. And from what I understand, the goals in loopering is to create a decentralized exchange starting with the crypto market first. And that bat is an attempt to change the way we view advertising and a way to push for user privacy while still pushing out relevant ads for people which still allows for this advertising business to stay afloat. And then finally, you've got Cardano, which is a copycat version of Ethereum with a two-layer system already implemented into it. And because of this two-layer system, they're able to process up to a million transactions a second while also keeping their fees, those gas fees, relatively low. And they're doing it in an environmentally sustainable way by using the Arobos proof of stake mechanism. 
So, if you were to ask me exactly why I'm buying into these coins, is because I think it has potential in the future. If you were to ask me to break down these coins and explain it to a 5 year old, I would tell you I can't. Which is why I'll tell you, if you're following this investment pick, I say I want you to proceed with some caution. Because I'm going to be making these picks and I'm not looking to sell it anywhere near the future. Most of the coins that I buy on this portfolio are going to be hodled until I die. And that's a joke, I'm not actually going to hold these until I die. But I'm fully committed and ready to hold on to these coins for 5 or 10 years. I don't intend on selling the cryptocurrency coins. As a matter of fact, I'm hoping sometime in the future, it can just inflate the percentage gain I have for this portfolio. And I'll keep holding on to them. I want to make most of my gains off of stocks, options, and gambling. I mean, the crypto gains would be great, but I'm actually trying to hold this stuff off in the long run because I've seen the crazy amount of gains you can make. And if I think we're still early, or at least in the beginning stages of this third generation, I'm only going to be considering selling once I read articles about a fourth generation crypto market coming out. Then maybe I'll consider selling these coins. So proceed with caution if you follow my crypto advice. Because remember, this is something I'm getting into that I still truly don't understand, but I'm hoping that as I explain it here on this podcast, we can both learn this market together. So that's going to do it for today's learning segment, and I hope you were able to learn something today, or at least learn something new about these coins projects if you didn't even know about it. And as I make more of these episodes, I'll probably be talking about the white papers of certain crypto coins and their third generation projects in the investing segment. I'll probably do it one at a time, but because I'm planning on buying three coins this weekend, I didn't want to spend the investing segment talking all about these coins which is why I moved it to the teaching moment. So if you've made it this far into the lesson, I just want to say thank you, love you, and until next time, ape out.